Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. We're excited that you joined us today. We've got another powerful and life-changing message to encourage you and bless you in your walk with Christ. Let's get right into it, and I'll get back with you shortly. This morning we're beginning a new series of teachings entitled Counter Culture. And I want to just give you a heads up. This is not a message for the world to change. This is a message to the church to remain being the church. This is a message to the church that the salt would continue to stay salty. That the light would continue to shine and not begin to mimic darkness so that we can attract more people. It's for the church to remain the church. And as we always say, there's a mirror on the front row looking right at Pastor Daniel. And I hope you've got one in your face. It's going to be very tempting to hear what I preach and teach and jump on it and say, Amen, Brother Daniel. That's right. The world's going to hell in a handbasket and they need to change. But this is a message for us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? The enemy has not changed his tactics. This is the war that he is still waging on us today before there is ever the temptation to violate God's word. There is always the temptation to question it. It sounds different to each of us, but the result is the same. The enemy continues to whisper, did God actually say? Did God actually say that life forms in the womb, that he knits us together. Did God's word actually say that to take a life is murder? Did God actually say that the church, God's people, those who have real religion that is pure and undefiled should be leading the way in taking care of the orphans and the widows? Did God actually say Did he actually say that we should bring back at least a tithe of our income? That 10% giving is the training wheels to generosity. It's the baseline. Did God really say that when we do that, we show him that we trust him with our finances and that we sow seeds into the kingdom that at some point, either in this life or the next, we will reap a harvest? Did God actually say marriage is sacred? Did God actually say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Did God actually say that he made us from the beginning male and female? That he picks gender, not us. And there are only two. And that is not hate. That is love. 
If you believe in the inspiration, the infallibility, and the inerrancy, and the totality of Scripture to not open your mouth to someone that is going down a wide path that leads to destruction is hate. To open your mouth is love. Did God actually say that sex outside of the marriage between one man and one woman is sin? Well, four people think so. Praise God for four. Did God, I know, I know you're listening. Did God actually say integrity matters? Amen. That you should pay your bills. Even if it's been so long that you forgot that you owed it. Did God actually say make disciples of all nations? Did God actually say that we can live lives free from anxiety and depression. And to clear the record on this, I'm going to say something really quick. Your pastor has been diagnosed with clinical anxiety and was given a prescription. And I took three and felt like my head was about to pop off the top, so I stopped. Now, you don't need to... Say thank you, but I want to make sure you understand that I'm in the trenches with you too and have also struggled with it too, but refuse to coddle it and say that it is mine when Jesus went to a cross to set me free from it. It's going to be very easy in this series to be offended if the Word of God offends you. And honestly... It should. If the word of God doesn't offend you, you're probably not listening. Did God actually say that we must speak the truth in love? In love. Did God actually say that love is the main thing? And without it, we're just a bunch of annoying symbols being clanged together. The answer is a resounding yes. God did actually say. And this is the first stop on the road to being counterculture. To be in this world but not of it. To be called out as a peculiar people but yet called to those that are lost. To see the world as our mission field but not our home. To embrace the citizenship the citizenship of our country, but to prioritize the citizenship of heaven. To be counterculture means to eat with sinners, yet not compromise them. To rescue those that are hurting without becoming bitter when they attack. Because they're going to bite you. The first stop is here. Did God actually say Because before there is ever the temptation to violate God's word, there is always the temptation to question it. Notice the connection in Genesis 3-1 between the enemy being crafty and the questioning of God. Did God actually say? Now while the serpent was questioning 
Adam's relayed revelation to Eve, the enemy now gets us to question God's relayed revelation through the many writers, not authors, because God is the author of God's holy word. In other words, the question that I see coming up so many times when you get into the thick of trying to address the issues of this culture, you can be in a conversation for 45, 50 minutes, and then out of nowhere, this is what comes out. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but do you really think that's like God's words? I mean, didn't people write that? They held the pencil, honey. God did the moving. He did the writing. He put the sentences and the structure. How can you have a book so massive that never contradicts itself? Written over a span of 4,000 years, yet it never contradicts itself. And if you would like to stand and say to me this morning, Pastor Daniel, I'm sorry, there are contradictions. Experts say, my question to you is, Show them to me now and tell me who the experts are and you cannot cite Wikipedia or TikTok. Did God actually say, because the truth is this, if he really said it, and I believe he did, then we don't even need to talk about inerrancy and infallibility. Because if a God who knows all things, who exists everywhere in time, all at the same time, said it, then it must be without error. And when we find a contradiction between God's word and our lives, it is not God's word that must change. It is our lives. If God really penned his will through men, then we must submit ourselves to it. We must read it and live it. I truly believe that this morning there are many, even in this room, who have not settled the issue of the inspiration of Scripture. You're not fully convinced that it's God's Word, and it's because the enemy is whispering in your ear, did God actually say? And I believe that there are some in this room this morning who have theologically settled the issue, but have not practically settled the issue. And the dust on your Bible proves it. You'll amen and you will tell me point blank. I believe God actually said it theologically. But if you really truly believe that God actually said it, then how could we live one day without reading it? Can we trust that God's word is really God's word? We can trust the entire Old Testament is inspired by God because Jesus authenticated it. What do I mean? Open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and look for yourself. Jesus was constantly quoting the Old Testament. He recognized the law. He recognized the prophets. He recognized the Psalms. Much of what actually comes out of Jesus' mouth is a direct quote from the Old Testament books. But what would we expect when the Word of God becomes flesh and lives among us? He quoted the Old Testament to resist temptation, to develop arguments, to hush the religious, to teach lessons, to remind them of prophecies, to stand on the truth, and to expose needs. 
He accepted the Old Testament as history. He referenced the first marriage, the flood, Sodom's destruction, the burning bush. Jesus actually talked about the characters of the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Moses, David and Solomon, Elijah and Elisha, Naaman and Jonah. So we can trust the Old Testament, because when the Word of God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, he was constantly quoting it, constantly looking back and saying, I am the fulfillment of everything that was written. So for us to stand up and say that the book of Leviticus is outdated because we won't put in the work to understand it and bridge the geographical and the genealogical gap that is created from living 4,000 years after it was written, it's absurd. Jesus point blank looked at it and said, I authenticate that that indeed was God's word. And here I am. Here I am in front of you showing you what it looks like when it's wrapped in flesh and blood and bones and muscle and sinew. We can trust the Old Testament is God's word because Jesus authenticated it. We can trust the entire New Testament is God's word because Jesus authorized it. In John 20, 21, Jesus sent out the disciples with the exact same authority the Father had sent him. In other words, he made these disciples to be authorized representatives, ambassadors. And because of this authorization, the words of Jesus and his disciples serve as the church's foundation as found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. <clears throat> When we say that scripture is inspired, what we are saying is this. We believe that God brought it into being. It was not man. Jesus authenticated the Old Testament and he authorized the New Testament. And when we say that scripture is inspired, what we are really saying is this. All scripture is God breathed. By the way, you better write fast today. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That while some books were penned by Moses, others by David, some by the prophets, then there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, and a few others. They were under the inspiration of Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit breathed into these pencil holders the very words of God. All of it is authenticated or authorized by Jesus who is the authority on God's word. Not your famous, not your favorite TikTok theologian. Why? Because he is the word that became flesh and lived among us. But why would we be surprised that all of it was God-breathed? In Genesis 2-7, God breathed Adam's first breath directly into his lungs. We might say it like this in 2023. God, stay breathing. He's always breathing 
In John 20, 21 to 23, when the disciples were a little rattled, Jesus breathed peace, forgiveness, and Holy Spirit into their lives. Now, I want every one of you to take a deep breath. Go. Come on. Do it one more time. Do it one more time. Where's my mic? Something that you might even notice is this, is that the very guttural sounds of your breath breathe in Yah, and they breathe out way. So every time you take a breath, you're literally breathing, I am that I am. I am that I am. Why would we be surprised that the very words of God were breathed into the hearts of pencil holders that would just write them down? There, there's not a bunch of authors of Scripture. There's one author. Did God actually say? Yeah, God actually said it. Yeah, you can trust his word. Yes, we can use it as the guide to this life. Yes, God actually said it. And remember this, before there is ever a temptation to violate God's word, there will always be the temptation to question it. You might be listening to this and still, maybe you're here this morning, you're an unbeliever or you're one of those who have gotten new revelation. And I put that revelation in quotes. And it's italicized, and it's got squigglies around it. And off to the side, there's an area that says suspect. You're still questioning, did the creator of these, the world really say? In other words, can I trust that the Bible is inspired by Yahweh? Here are a few things to consider. Listen fast. It was not until 1789 that we discovered that matter as we see it is made up of much smaller structures known as atoms. This discovery was made by the French scientist Antoine Lavoisier. Yet 1,721 years before this discovery, the author of Hebrews clearly tells us that what is seen is made out of what is invisible. Did God actually say it? Yeah, he said it before we figured it out. In World War I, more people died from disease than actual military wounds. Why? Because of the improper disposal of excrement. In other words, we didn't know what to do with a number one and a number two. However, thousands of years before in God's word in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God instructed his people, the Israelites, that when you got to go, go outside the camp, dig a hole, do your business, then cover it up. Did God actually say it? Yes, and many people would have lived it, lived if they had believed it. For centuries, people washed in standing water and never really understood how germs and bacteria were spread. Thankfully, the CDC, who we all trust deeply, eventually recommended that we wash our hands under warm running water, then use soap, and then use warm running water again. Why? 
Because the simple act of washing hands has been proven to be the number one way to prevent disease spread. Yet again in Leviticus 15, 13, we see that one of the prescriptions for those that are sick is to wash themselves and their clothes in, you guessed it, running water. It took us thousands of years to discover what God had already said. And this morning, I wonder how many truths we're pondering right here, right now, when we could just be reading his word. Then there's the whole issues with the ocean floors. Until the 19th and 20th century, scientists believed that the ocean floor was flat. You know, before we invented sonar and submarines and stuff. After those inventions, we found out that it was not indeed flat, but that there were entire mountain ranges and canyons and all kinds of mess down there. Now, if they wanted to know the truth early, they could have read the first submariner, Jonah. When he described his journey down into the depths of the ocean and he talks about the mountains at the bottom of the sea. Oh, that's just a silly story about a guy being swallowed by a whale. Did God actually say? Yeah, he actually said it. And I wonder this morning how many of us are being swallowed by the consequences of our disobedience but don't even know it because we're still debating on whether or not God actually said it. Then there's the hydrological cycle. Something that was not fully understood until the 17th century, yet Scripture actually explains it perfectly. In Amos 9.6, it says that God pours out the waters of the sea on the earth. In Ecclesiastes 1.7, it says that all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Then the water returns to the place where the waters run, and then they return again. In Psalm 135.7, it says he causes vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth and makes lightning for the rain. In Ecclesiastes 11.3, it says that if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves onto the earth. I wonder how many other cycles, patterns, inevitable things that have been woven into the very fabric of creation that we're still trying to discover all because we failed at the same place that Eve and the other biblical heroes failed. I wonder what would happen if when the enemy came whispering, did God actually say? We would say, mm, yes! And you're right, enemy. What you're tempting me with does look really good. But there's another cycle in James chapter 1. Sin looks good. Oh, so good. And anybody that ever tries to tell you that sin don't look good, they're lying. But sin begins with evil desires, and it feels good, and it seems good, and it looks good. Then evil desire has a baby called sin. Then that sin is born, and then sin grows, and then sin produces death. Every time you see it rain, I want you to remember that God told us how this worked a long time ago before we figured it out. So you remember this truth too. 
There are things that God has told us in his God-breathed word that you might not understand, that might not feel right or feel good, that might go 100% against the grain of your flesh and fly in the face of the culture. And you can ignore it. That is your freedom. But you can't stop the cycle. Just like the water on earth evaporates into the sky and pours back down on this earth, so too will our sin. Our rebellion, our prideful way of living that makes us think that we can do this without the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. Then there are, there are the prophecies. In 700 B.C., the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, 7 through 8, predicted that Israel would become a nation in one day. Nobody was like, oh, yeah, this ain't going to happen. In 1922, the League of Nations gave Great Britain the authority over the land of Palestine. And on May 1st, 1948, just quick turn in one day, Great Britain withdrew her authority, and in one day, Israel was born in one day. Just like the prophet said in 700 B.C. In Daniel chapter 2, the God-breathed words of God prophesied the rise and fall of Greece and Rome and the destruction of Jerusalem. In Daniel chapter 9, the Bible prophesied the timeline of the coming of the one and only Jewish Messiah prior to the temple's demise. Five centuries in advance, stay with me, the Bible gave a precise and accurate countdown from when King Artaxerxes would give the decree to restore Jerusalem. But that is the equivalent of someone getting up here and saying, I know who's going to win the World Series in 500 years. And picking the starting pitcher who has not been born yet. I'm going to read, a, I'm going to read some of God's inspired word, if you don't mind. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I won't read anymore. Who am I reading about? And I know I've already spoiled it, but it sounds like I'm reading from the New Testament, right? No, this is the prophet Isaiah. Teenagers, please listen to what I'm saying. This is the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. Couldn't Jesus have accidentally fulfilled all these dozens of prophecies? Let's explore it. The scientific probability that any one person could fulfill just eight 
of the Messianic prophecies is one out of 10 to the 17th power. Now, I think that's, let's see, 100,000, 100,000, 100 million, 100 billion, 100 trillion, 100, is it zillion? Is that what's next? Is it, is it a lot? Somebody just say a lot. Now, let's just really explore the, the likelihood of that. If we took that number, we'll say it's 100 zillion. If we took 100 zillion silver dollars and we put them over the state of Texas, the state of Texas would be covered two feet deep in silver dollars. Now, if someone went to the state of Texas with a black Sharpie, picked up one silver dollar and drew an X on it, then mixed it back in, then we got another guy and we blindfolded him and we put him on one of the borders and told him to walk in blindfolded and pick up that one silver dollar with an X on it. That would be the chances of eight of the Messianic prophecies being fulfilled. The problem is this. There are over 300 prophecies that tell of his ancestry, Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented. In other words, God's word is historically accurate. It's scientifically accurate. It's prophetically perfect. It is the ultimate God to this life. Heck, it's the only God to this life. It's the greatest work on human behavior that has ever been written. It can heal your marriage. It can teach you how to parent. It can show you how to handle your finances. And it's even been shown to help you lose that stubborn belly fat before the summer. That's in the book of Daniel. I know it's funny, but I'm not even messing. It's the foundation from which all morality is based. Guys, most countries even copy the Trinity in their government models. It's God-breathed, infallible, inerrant, unchangeable, unmovable, inspired, and it will be here for all time. Did God actually say? In Psalm 119, it says that it is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. It also says that when his words are hidden in our heart, it prevents us from living in sin. In Hebrews 4, it says that God's word is alive, it is active, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it is his word that discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. In Isaiah 55, it says that his word never returns void. Just by speaking the word of God, we send tidal waves out in the spirit realm. In Job 23, it says that reading the word is better than a hot roll from Logan's with honey butter. In Matthew 4, it said that eating, chewing, and swallowing the word of God is more important than hush puppies. It says it. In John 17, 
It says that we're sanctified by reading it and following it because it is the ultimate source of truth. In Psalm 119, it says it's eternal. In Isaiah 40, it says that the word of God will never fade away. The grass and the flowers will, but his word will endure forever. Matthew 24 says that heaven and earth is going to go away before God's word does. In 1 Peter 1, it says that we need his words to be born again. Not a whole vibe. We need his words. We don't just need the gospel lived. The gospel actually has to be preached. It is a message that must be heralded because he is a God that speaks things into his existence. Did God actually say? Yeah, he said it. Remember that not far from crafty was questioning. Before there is ever the temptation to violate God's word, there will always be the temptation to question it. The enemy seeks to place separation in our minds between our God and his words. Second Timothy 3 says it's all God breathed. It's all profitable. It corrects us, it molds us, it instructs us, and it's the tool that Holy Spirit uses to perfect us and furnish us with good works. In Ephesians 6, it says the word of God is our sword. In the spiritual armor listed, it is our only offensive weapon. And I don't say that in terms of inadequacy. I say it's because the word is all we need to fight. Why does recovery work? Because it's based off the word. Why do godly friends help us? Because they bring us back to the word. Why does prayer work? Because we hear the words of God. Proverbs 30 says his word is flawless. And try as they may to cancel it, it ain't never getting canceled. In John 15 it says his words are so powerful that if they abide in us, that whatever we ask, it shall be done. In Jeremiah 23 it says his words are like It's like a hammer. This is my favorite one. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock. Did God actually say? No wonder this is the first ploy of the enemy's craftiness. Because based off of the verses we just read, without the word of God, we can't see where we are going. We have no power over sin. We have no method of discerning the real intentions of our heart. We become spiritually anemic and malnourished. We have no true north, no tool of sanctification. Without the word of God, we would base our living, our talking, our thinking off of silly, temporal, self-help nuggets. Without the word, we couldn't become saved. Without the word, we would be dumb, misshapen, rebellious, And good works would not be able to grow in us. We would have no weapon. There'd be no fire, fire, no hammer, no sword, no inspiration, no breath of God. It's no wonder that the enemy's first tactic is to always get us to question the validity of God's word. Did God actually say this is the first step to being counterculture. Church, we don't march to the same drum as the world. 
We have our instructions. So let's settle it once and for all. When temptation comes in, when the enemy starts whispering, when that lifestyle seems more appealing to you than the one you are currently living, when it begins to look like the ways of the world would actually fit you better, did God actually say? You get it settled now. As they used to tell me as a teenager, you don't get it settled when you're in the back seat of the car. Some of you are in your 30s and 40s. Can you say amen? You know what I, you remember, remember that line right there? You better make up your mind. And then even then, it's still going to be hard. But we make up our minds. I can remember as a kid being left home alone. Wasn't that a good feeling? You just kind of be like, this is all mine. But in my house, when you were left home alone, you were left with a list of things to do to keep you busy. Anybody else? And when you came home, parents, you can slide me like two bucks after church for this. But when my mom and dad got home, that house better be clean, dishes done, floors vacuumed, swept and mopped. My dad would make me rake our front yard, and it had no grass. It was dirt. Because he wanted to see straight lines in the dirt when he came in. She was like, you need to be delivered from that. Maybe I do. <laughs> Did God actually say? But I can remember. Sometimes my dad or my mom would tell my brother what needed to be done. And he'd come to me to relay the revelation. And I'd be like, no, I ain't doing that. He said, you better do it, Daddy. said, my, my daddy didn't say that. Knowing good and well, knowing good and well, it sounded like my dad. It was the same kind of stuff he had asked me to do last week when I stayed at home. It needed to be done. Knowing good and well, but it became my way of weaseling out living out what my daddy had told me to do. I would even lie to myself and be like, hey, my daddy didn't say that. He wants me to, he wants me to stay at home and eat Pop-Tarts and watch SportsCenter 43 times. <laughs> Knowing good and well, my daddy ain't never said that. Did God actually say? <clears throat> His words are like a hammer that can break even the hardest of rock. I believe that anyone watching this, there's going to be people who have hardened hearts. And the word has been chipping away. So let me quote to you one of those hammers that I believe is one of my favorite hammers. And you can help me. For God. So, hold on one second. Can you just soak it in rather than, than being like VBS hero right now? 
for God so loved those that voted for it don't say that does it for God so loved the come on help me y'all starting to worry me I ain't even gonna lie we're gonna do the Bible memorization just for you to get in the door from now on for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that okay can we say that word one more time now, it's okay, you can believe what you want to believe, but don't you come in here preaching and teaching that he's not a whosoever God. He is a whosoever God. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you here this morning and you've, you've never been saved? You've never confessed Jesus as the son of God? You've never confessed that his son paid the price for your sins. You feel the Holy Spirit drawing you right now to be saved, and you just want to be as public as you can about it. Will you just slip up your hand and say, that's me right here, right now. Anybody, anywhere. I see you, brother. God bless you. We love you. Anybody else? Bible says this, we confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. And our relationship with God doesn't flicker in and out. It's a relationship of a father to a son. And you might do a couple dumb things, but you don't just quit being his son because you've done a couple dumb things. So remember, we used to sing an old song, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is, oh, what a foretaste of glory, divine assurance. Okay? So you confess with your mouth, Jesus is God's son. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you want, you're saved. Now there are, I got two more things and then we're going to give you a chance to respond and then we're going to get out there and minister. There are many here this morning who, you guys ready for this one? We're living in open rebellion to God. Just point blank. You know that there are certain aspects of your life that do not align with God's word and the enemy has whispered his lies. Did God actually say and you've been saying no I don't think so well at at least he didn't mean it for me you know when God wrote that I mean that was godly that was thousands of years ago and he just doesn't really apply in America the enemy He's going to always attack there first. He's going to attack the voice of God in your life. If you'd say that, that's me. Like, man, I've been playing around with this for too long. Will you just slip up your hand and say, that's me? Anybody? Yeah. Praise God. Anybody else? We have two honest people here this morning. Praise the Lord. Seriously, thank you. Yeah, me too. 
Now I want to ask you this question. Earlier I alluded to this. I said this. So that many of us will theologically stand up and say it's God's word. But practically speaking, we run to something else first thing in the morning. We go to sleep every night with something else. Whenever we're struggling, we run to something different. Hemi would stand and say, just to be quite frank, to be quite honestly, practically speaking, it might not look like I believe God actually said it. Would you stand up with me and say, that's me, man. I, I'm not in my word like I should be. I'm not treating it like God's holy word. If you're not, don't stand up. That's fine. Not all of us are going to be there. And this is how we're going to end this morning. I, I want to ask you to just get out of your seat. I want to ask you to come down to this altar. You, need, you might need to start repentance. Start repentance. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. And we'll start it by just first of all confessing, God, I confess that there are days that I go and I don't even consider your word. But I confess to you right now, God, now change my heart. I want to ask you, your seat and join us this morning in these altars. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church Online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.